everyone, and welcome to another America's Conservative Podcast. I'm your host, Ed Denzel. It's Thursday, which means it's trivia night, starting a new season. If you don't know, my team tied for the championship this past Saturday after eight weeks. Uh, kind of, I would say, kind of gave it away, and it's just, and I will take the most blame of anybody on the team uh, for that. Uh, we were ahead by a couple points going in, and then we finished third on the last night, which allowed a couple teams to tie us for the overall championship. And so we had to share it with two other teams. And I mean, I guess we continue our winning streak, our championship streak, but uh, we went in there in first place alone, and we came out tied. So I kind of feel like we gave it away. Last question, was it up in the air? And it was the question was, uh, how many countries does the equator go through in South America? And we put the right number. It's just that we were unsure of it, so we didn't bet the maximum points, and that's what allowed a couple of teams to catch up. So I think that we have to uh, – I don't know. I mean, we just have to keep doing the same thing, I guess, just keep winning and things. We just – it was just a little bit of a flub, and those things, I guess, are going to happen over the course of a season. But – uh, I was the guy who said we shouldn't back, bet maximum points on it, and I kind of have to live with that. So we start again tonight, eight more weeks. Did you see this story about this girl in England who is suing the lottery commission there? She won the lottery, didn't win, it wasn't like Powerball money, but I think it was like $1.5 million in American dollars or something like that. But she was only 17, she was a young girl, 17, 18 years old. And now she is suing the commission because she says that the money ruined her life. That she was was too young to uh, win it. They should up the age on and on. She got plastic surgery. She went to all these shopping binges. And uh, I'm guessing maybe she's blown most of it. And now she's having some regrets about that. And now she wants even more money, I guess, from the government. Funny story. Just you talk about uh, a young woman who obviously isn't yet old enough to understand how life works. Uh, that uh, many people would be happy to win the lottery, although I know that the attitude among many economists is that lotteries are just a tax on the poor. But people who have come into that money, and I mean, you have to remember, you win that money, how about? Remembering that there are millions, if not billions, of people in the world who have no idea what that amount of money even looks like. (laughs) Can't even imagine it. And now she's saying that uh, the money ruined her life. Maybe she ruined her life. How about that? And I wouldn't necessarily say that her life is ruined, but she's the one who spent that money. She probably there are people around her telling her not you know what you know what to do with it and save it and invest in everything. She didn't do all that. Well, whose fault's that? It's surely not the lottery commission's fault. So, but there are several stories, at least here in the United States, about people who have won lots and lots of money and have completely blown it all. Not and it was more than one point five, whatever this woman won, like ten million, twenty million dollars, just gone. Uh, addictions, trying to help other family members out, people coming to them asking for a loan, and never, 
I mean, all sorts of stories. In fact, I think there's one of a guy who ended up winning and then ended up murdering his family and committing suicide or something. I just horrendous stories. And I guess it's one of those things where those kinds of fortunate occurrences where people win the lottery, it brings out whatever they truly are. If you're a troubled person, that money is not going to fix anything. If you're just a happy person, a good person, moral person, then that money is just going to make you even more of that, and you're going to use that money in positive ways. And it could be that this girl was uh, in uh, lacking a moral character and lacking maturity even before she won the money. In fact, she probably shouldn't have been playing in the first place if that's what she was like. So there you go. It was a New York Post story. Let's move on to the show. I want to start with NATO and what General Mattis, Secretary of Defense, said in a recent speech within the last couple days. And this is getting a lot of play in conservative circles because, you know, there's there's been a lot of talk going back to the campaign of what Trump said, Donald Trump said about some of these countries who aren't pulling their fair share uh, in NATO. And what that means, if you don't know, is that if you, to be a, a, a member of NATO, and there are several countries, no country is expected to spend what we do. Of course, in NATO, we have the largest economy. In fact, we have the largest economy in the world. It's not even close. But um, even if you consider China. But we spend of part of our GDP a percentage a lot more than other countries do in the world. But in our expectation for our allies in NATO is that they don't have to spend as much as we spend, whether it's 7% of GDP or 8%, 10%. To be a part of NATO, all you have to do is spend 2% of your GDP on defense. And that would be con- – I guess that would be considered anything – Paying the soldiers, paying the pilots, it just doesn't mean you have to spend that on tanks and bullets and rifles and jets. That can go to people too. And I don't know how long it's been this way. I'm going to guess it's probably been a while. I don't know if it goes back to the 1980s or 70s. I don't know. But I saw this chart. There are currently only five countries in NATO who spend the required 2%. The rest of the countries, and there are many, uh, 15 other countries maybe? How many countries are in NATO? Many, 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 way more than five, are spending well less than that, meaning under 2% of their GTP, even going down to the point where it's not even, they're not even spending 1%. So it means they're not even fulfilling 50% of their requirement. And these are, these are countries that you know, like Italy, for example. And General Mattis, and maybe this is a speech that should have been given several years ago, you know, well before Barack Obama came into office. I'm going to guess that some of these countries have been getting away with this for a while. And if you're interested to know what the five countries are that are spending enough, uh, it's us, it's England – I think it's Greece of all countries, if you can believe it. I think Turkey is also in there, and then there's one other country. 
But the rest of them are all under that 2% number. For example, France is under that number, although I think it's very close. It's like 1.7%, something like that. So he says, you know, it's about time that you start, you know, the doing what the charter says, this agreement be, between all of us. And because it shouldn't be, and I'm paraphrasing, that we care more about your ch- children's security than you do, which is an excellent point. And uh, this probably does go back to what many probably, I wouldn't know if they're liberals or conservatives, but libertarians have said that these people, these countries should be taking care of themselves and and the United States should stay out of a, a lot of this stuff, and these countries should be spending more. And that is a, a very good point. It's hard to argue with that. If the NATO charter says these countries are required to spend 2% of their GDP, then that's what they should be doing. Um, how they should spend it, uh, who they should spend it on, whether they should help the United States in this Mission or that mission is all up in the air, but at least they should be spending that 2% on whatever. But they're not. The problem, and the the reason that Mattis is saying this is because I guess the attitude in at least the next four years, as long as Donald Trump is president, is that the United States can't afford to come to your aid if you need it all the time. It shouldn't be us and our budgets making up for what you're not spending. And this, you know this is something that I've, I've said, although this topic has not come up recently, is that the reason that Germany and some of these other countries – Germany hasn't, isn't reaching the 2% number either. They aren't reaching that number is because we spend so much on defense. They spend so little because – we spend so much, so they depend on us. And it's also the reason that you find American air bases and things in Germany, but you don't find any German air bases in the United States. You find American bases in South Korea. You don't find any South Korean bases in the United States. That's the reason. That's the reason. And the truth is, those countries, for the most part, like Americans being there. They like the security of it. Of course, American uh, military members generally make as much money as decently wealthy uh, people in those countries. So they take their money into the cities. They spend it on food. And, of course, some guys spend it on strippers and and everything else. So they don't mind uh, the United States being there. The problem is that we are reducing our spending on the military in the United States. In fact, there's been quite a few articles that I've seen. I haven't talked about them uh, regarding how we have a reduction. And because of that, there are several jets that are just sitting on uh, runways at bases all over the United States and probably elsewhere that need fixed, but they can't get fixed because there's not enough money or they don't have enough fuel. And there's talk that the defense budget is going to have to go back up for the, these planes get, to get back to airworthiness. Well, the way I see it, General Mattis is right in general. Forgive the pun. The problem is that, as you all know, the federal budget has been going up 
It never goes down. Never goes down. Whether we run deficits and rack up this huge national debt, the national budget, the federal budget, is bigger every year. On the other hand, our military budget has been going down every year. Maybe for some good reasons, for, or maybe for some bad reasons. So how can that be? So where is that money going? Why is the federal budget more, but our spending on defense is less? Well, i tell you exactly where it's going. It's going to entitlement programs. Our federal budget, in more and more every year, is being eaten up by transfer payments. Whether, whatever you want to call them, Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, any, everything like that. And that's being taken away primarily from the defense budget because, well, it's easy to do that. Even when you have terrorism out there and you have China, you have North Korea, you have Iran and everything, it's easy to go into the military budget because it's seen as the American military is too big anyway. By some people, it's counts. And I'll even tell you that for me, it's hard to understand why we have so many military bases in the United States. These refueling wings, I always bring up at the Pittsburgh airport, it has a refueling wing there. What's it doing there? Really? Really? What's it doing there? And so I'm not going to be a, a guy who says that the, the military budget should go up, up, up every year. But I, I also know that the military budget is as full of things that waste and everything else, shenanigans, people putting in their money, po- money in their pockets, as much as any other department in the federal government. Okay, so it shouldn't get uh, you know a blank check on what it wants as part of our budget. Where I'm going with this is that kind of we are doing with our federal budget going up, 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 but our military budget going down, down, down. These other countries who aren't spending that 2% for their military budgets in these countries, however many countries are, 15, 11, 16, 20, whatever there are, however many there are, they are just further along the curve than we are. Okay? As I've told you, once again, not recently, but at some point in the past, the reason that they don't spend also because of us, but also because of their budgets are that way, because, you know what, they've decided that their uh, citizens would rather have stuff and get free stuff and free paychecks and free government handouts than have a decent military to even point they can't even spend 2% on it. All of these budgets in these countries are getting eaten, eaten up by social programs. Well, what, what does that sound like? It sounds like the United States. That's what it sounds like. These countries are just further down the road than we are. And I don't think that's going to change. Uh, because I'm under this distinct impress- impression, as much as we may applaud the, the military and we honor it at the Super Bowl and baseball games, basketball games, and we honor all these people 
NASCAR races and rock concerts, you know, the group Kiss and all these other groups that do all these charity functions and everything. If you tell somebody, well, you know what? How about you stop getting you're, – you're a decently rich person. How about you stop getting that social security check and that go to the defense budget? You know what people are going to say? Hell no. That's how much they like helping the military out. They like it until it means it cuts into their own budget, even though they can't afford it. People would rather have stuff than they would a decent military. I know that's hard to believe in the United States, but that's the truth. And so I understand what General Mattis is saying. Technically, on paper, according to the rules of NATO, he is correct. Unfortunately, what he won't admit, and what probably Donald Trump won't admit, and most Republicans won't admit, is that those countries are just further down the road than we are. We're headed in the same direction. Now, I don't know if we're going to get to it in my lifetime, if I live to be 80 years old, I hope to make it. Um, but we're going to get to a point in the United States where maybe we won't even spend 2% of our GDP on on the military because a bunch of citizens want their stuff. They want their check in the mail. You know, if our military budget was going up as a percentage of GDP and the federal budget was going up and the military budget was going up, then I think that we would be in a much more secure uh, area, uh, mindset, to criticize these other, other countries. What's not understood, what nobody wants to bring up, is how it got to that point. How it did. Now, the, the question is, what do we get? So there's that. That's my viewpoint on the, the, on the entire thing. You know, let's take a look why they're not spending that, that 2%. Yes, it, maybe it's a little bit because of us, but it's also because they're just a bunch of leftists who maybe in reality don't like the military that much anyway. They're just doing the absolute bare minimum. And politically, you know, uh, you know, the tough part about this is <coughs> we have this NATO charter, but isn't it up to every country and their citizens to determine how much should be spent on the military? What happens if the, the, the people in that country uh, don't want 2% of their budget spent on the military? What happens if they only want 1% or a half percent? And being told, well, you know, we're going to get kicked out of NATO. Does it matter to them? Do they understand it? How, is the problem that these people, these citizens, and maybe their leaders, and is it uh, the point that maybe we as the United States have not explained to them why it's so important that we stick together? Could be, but I'm not sure that that would change anything. My problem is that you can make this speech what are you going to do if they don't? It's no uh, – I have a – in my, my entire life, I, I have uh, an attitude. If you're not willing to do something about something, don't complain about it. As, I, as you've heard me say before, nobody wants to hear grown men whine. Nobody wants to hear that. 
So if you're going to complain about something, if you're going to say something's wrong, then you got you have to be motivated about to do something about it, not just sit there and complain. I try to follow that that rule in my life. Okay. So if General Mattis is going to get up there and complain about this, hey General, hey Donald Trump, what are you going to do if these countries don't want to go along with it? What if their citizens say, you know what? We're just not interested in that anymore. That's Cold War stuff. That's 1950s stuff, and we're done with it. What are you going to do? What if Germany says, nope, we're not going to do that. We're going to still have a military, but we're only going to spend 1%, and that's just the way it is. Are we really going to remove all those air bases from Germany? Are we really going to do that? Is it going to have to get down... To that level. Will the German people care? I know they like us being there, but if it means that they're going to get less stuff, because these countries, hey, these countries run deficits just like we do. They're just smaller deficits. If it means that the only way they're going to figure out how to balance their budgets is to take entitlements away from people, because that's what it's going to come down to. If you really believe that these countries are going to tax their people more or get more money from their people to cover to get up to that 2% number, you're wrong. So the only other way they can do it is through deficit spending or taking from other programs. Do you think their people are going to go along with that? So I hear the complaints. He's right. You're going to kick Germany out of NATO? You're going to kick Italy out of NATO. You're going to kick France out of NATO. You're going to kick most European countries. If you're going to do that, you just don't have NATO anymore. Now, maybe they will wake up. Maybe they'll say, well, 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 well you, but then do, you, they, do they really think, here's, here's the kicker. Do they really think because they didn't spend 2% of their GDP on the military, that the United States would really stand idly by if, say, the Russians started to roll into Eastern Europe again? Do they really believe that would just sit by and say, hey, you didn't spend it, so there you go? See, this is the problem with all of this. There is no conceivable way that the United States would stay out of something like that, and these countries know that. So, once again, if that is the case, there's no reason to complain about it. And this is why, going back to when Trump first brought this up during the campaign, I thought it was a joke. If, if uh, Europe, if all these countries that don't spend 2% on their GDP get attacked by China, is the United States really going to stand out of the buy? You know, China says this, you know what? We're not going to do anything against the United States. We just have a complaint with some of these European countries. Don't you worry about it. We're just going to bomb. We're going to sail our ships into there. We're going to have submarines. We're going to bomb. We're going to bomb Berlin. We're going to bomb Rome. We're going to do this. Do you think the United States is really going to sit by and not do anything? Of course not. So all this talk from General Mattis about us caring more about their children than they do is all just a big waste of time. It's just a waste of time. I know that's, I, I, hey, I know that he has a good point. I know that, he, that factually he is right. It's just what can you do about it? Because here in the United States, 
Once again, if we were morally clean on this, we could speak a lot more favorably. We, we, could, we would be standing on the high ground. We're not. Our, our entitlements, our budget is being – our defense budget is being eaten up by everything that's eaten up the defense budgets in all of those countries. And I know, I know what I'd say if I was some politician, some leftist politician in one of these countries to General Mattis. You know what? Your percentage your, – your military is a percentage of the GDP in the United States. You know what? It's going down too for the same reason that our – the percentage has gone down in our countries. You know why? Because your politicians want to get reelected just like our politicians want to get reelected. Now what's General Mattis supposed to say to that? What's Donald Trump supposed to say to that? What's the Secretary of State supposed to say? Rex Tillerson, what's he going to say? See, it's not, you know, once again, redstate.com, these other countries, or these other websites have talked about this and talked about how he's right. He is right, but what are you going to do? Is there some foreign aid button that we can push to rescind from that? Are we going to really send uh, a bunch of cargo planes over there and really clean up and just leave? So uh, the problem, I you know, the pro- unfortunately the problem started long ago, well before Donald Trump became president, well before Barack Obama became president. I would probably say even well before uh, Ronald Reagan became president. And the issue is that at some point uh, we allowed those countries to go weak. I'm not sure. Even though I I think looking at it now, the Marshall Plan after World War II uh, was the right thing to do. Uh, It avoided uh, what happened after World War I in that after World War I, everything got destroyed and everything, and then we and the, the people who won, we just kind of left, and we left all this bitterness that eventually was the, caused the rise of the Nazis in Germany and the rise of the fascist uh, movement in Italy with Mussolini uh, because we just let these, these countries go and just kind of wallow and be destroyed. Instead of the Marshall Plan after World War II, we figured out, you know what? Now that we won, we're going to help these countries out. We're going to help them rebuild. We're going to monetize them. We're going to be their friends. We're going to show them that being friends with the United States and living in peace is the better way for us all to get along. And eventually, that attitude won out in that we haven't had any world wars. We've had some skirmishes. Granted, a lot of people have gotten killed, but we haven't had a world war with all these countries on different sides fighting each other. And even it went to the point that the the Eastern Bloc countries finally collapsed under what our attitude that goes way back to World War II and making friends with these these countries we hated afterwards. The problem is we probably went too far. Went too far in trying to create peaceful countries. Countries that wouldn't be a threat to the rest of the world. And in that way, keeping U.S. bases there, although it's been great for the United States, I don't know if it's been really great for the military attitudes 
in these countries. It's given these countries a sense of security, which I'm sure they value, but we've allowed them to get away with a lot. Once again, getting to this point where they don't even spend 2% of their GDP on the military. Whereas I can guarantee you, had there not been a Marshall Plan, had we just gotten up and left, if England, all the soldiers go back to England, all the Americans come back to the United States, <coughs> all the French go back to France and just kind of clean up everything that happened, and we just left Germany, uh, Berlin, and all those countries, Dresden, everything, just a complete mess, and left Italy a complete mess, and the rest of Europe a complete mess, there's a good chance that, yes, those countries would have spent way more than 2% on their GDP, and they'd probably have been, been our enemies again eventually. But we probably didn't walk the fine line enough between those two things. That's how I think we got to the point where now in 2017, you have the Secretary of Defense saying, you know what countries that we get along with? Why aren't you spending enough? Do you really care? Do you really expect us to care more about your children than you do? Whereas I'm sure their attitude is, well, you've been taking care of us all these years. Why should we spend it when you've been spending? In fact, your budgets are going down and you're criticizing us. Hmm. So, and in fact, they could turn it around and say, being that, you know, entitlements and transfer payments are so popular. You're spending so much on your defense that you're not taking care of the poor in your country, whereas we do. You're spending too much on defense. And I'm sure that's how a lot of lefty politicians in Europe think about it. The question is, what can you do about it? This is why, once again, it, it all sounded good to the alt-right and, and Laura Ingram and Ann Coulter and Sean Hannity. Look, he's telling these people that they don't spend enough. We're not helping them out. Is that really true? Is Sean Hannity and the rest of those people going to say, yep, you know, if Russia moves into Sweden, or Sweden's not NATO, but some of these other countries that are NATO people, and, oh, yep, we're just going to stand by. They didn't spend enough. We're just going to have to sit there. Are we really going to do that? Of course not. And as long as that's the case, I think this argument we're going to have with these countries is going nowhere, even though Mattis is technically uh, right. Got to get to the break. You've been listening to America's Conservative Podcast. The voice of American conservatism. WRS Digital. Red State Talk Radio. And we are back at America's Conservative Podcast. I want to just talk for a couple more moments about this NATO issue. If I were the Secretary of Defense and the President, whoever that person, man or woman, might be, if he and I, she and I, were having a discussion and looking at what these other countries were having, you know, were spending on defense and it wasn't up to the minimum, I would say that, yes, it should be a topic of conversation, but if the President is going to have me go to these countries and talk to them, uh, I would make sure that it's just, it just wouldn't be a way of complaining. Just going there and whining and, you know, being like their parent, telling them what they're not doing, which kind of feels to me like that. If you're going to do that to be an adult, you say, you know what, we're sorry that we have to do this. You know what the rules are. 
We know what the rules are. The, the, the truth is you haven't been following the rules for at least a few years. And guess what? That's as much our fault as it is your fault. Okay, maybe we should have had this discussion years ago. Mm -hmm. But here's what's going to happen if within the next two years, three years, you don't get up to that 2% level. This is what the United States is going to do. This isn't a threat. But those words on those pages, that agreement that we all have as part of this treaty organization have to mean something. That's all. And if there is no repercussions for not doing that, then we might as well just throw the whole thing out. Now, do you want to do that? Just let us know now. If you don't want to throw it out, then you're going to have to follow the agreement. We're willing to help you. We're willing to give you suggestions on what, you know, how you can get to that 2%. We're willing to help you in any way that we can. But I just didn't want to come here and complain about it. I want to come here... Uh, as what we're going to do if you don't. It's not going to be anything nasty, or I'm not trying to be bitter. We're not going to be angry about it, but we just want you to understand that we take word, those words on the page seriously. Mm -hmm. We can still be friends, but we're just not part of this NATO organization anymore. NATO, O stands for organization. We're just not a part of NATO anymore. Now, what do you want to do? Instead, it doesn't sound to me like General Mattis did that. It sounds to me like it was nothing but a scolding. It doesn't sound to me like the, the speech was that constructive. And I think that that's the way you have to handle this. I think that you just can't complain. You have to uh, say, we're willing to help. We're willing to do what we can. And make suggestions in, in the best way. I know your people are worried that you know maybe your deficits are going to go up. We can give you suggestions on how best to get to that 2% and what best to spend it on. We're willing to help. You know, we're not just going to sit back and you know, allow you to try. The, we're willing to help in any way, but you got to get to that 2% number. Got to. Got to help us out here. That's how I would do it. You don't don't go to them as a scolding, but it, it once again it feels to me like that that's what it was. And I don't know if I can blame Gen, uh, General Mattis on that. I think that may be a reflection on who's president because he's pretty good at scolding people and not having solutions. Hmm. How would George W. Bush have handled this and his Secretary of Defense? What it was, Colin Powell. And Robert Gates, and was there anybody else in there? Um, it was Robert, or no, Colin Powell was Secretary of State, I'm sorry. But uh, whoever it was. Um, oh, Donald Rumsfeld, there's one. Donald Rumsfeld, there you go. Um, what would he do? What speech would he have given to NATO regarding this topic? Would he have just gone in there and told him, hey, you got to get to 2%? Or would they have been a little bit more constructive? I don't know. I don't know. I'd like to think so. Let's move on to something else. I guess we have to talk about Mike Flynn again. Uh, this this story is so... It, it continues to get more convoluted day after day. And I, I, I want to credit Ann, 
Andy McCarthy, Andrew McCarthy, not the actor. Uh, at National Review for de- uh, detailing, uh, writing this article about how this all happened, what was going on in the media, what was going on at these spot organizations, and kind of a timeline as to how this all happened. I think it's very important that people can go to that article to try to get your mind sorted as what happened first, why did this happen, is this real, is this a lie, uh, you know, everything else. You know, the the problem, and I'm, I'm going to continue to say it, is that the belief, at least on the right, <coughs> is that this is being instigated by a bunch of Obama operatives. And as I said yesterday or the day before, well, what happened to the Bush operatives in in the spy organizations? I don't remember them hating him too much. I don't remember them backstabbing him that much, especially not along the lines of what happened here. Now, I know some people are going to say, well, you know, what about the weapons of mass destruction and, and, and all of that, saying that they were there and they weren't there? Well, they were there. I guess what I'm saying is that I don't remember the intelligence community coming after the Bush administration. That's not how I remember. I know the Bush administration had a lot of problems. Made some mistakes. I don't remember them being having an adversarial relationship with the intelligence community. So he didn't. It doesn't seem Barack Obama did. Now, why all of a sudden does it seem in the early days of the Trump administration that he does? Did Bill Clinton have a problem with those people, these quote-unquote deep state people? Did... Bush 41, did Ronald Reagan, did Jimmy Carter, did Gerald Ford, did Richard Nixon? Uh, maybe they did, and I just don't know about it. It's possible. But it certainly does seem early on that the Trump administration is having a problem with them. And are we to really, really believe that this is all just because Barack Obama was just president? Because I don't remember... Uh, George W. Bush, and remember, uh, September 11th happened pretty, pretty early in his uh, first four years. Did he have any problem with any Clinton operatives in the in the intelligence community after September 11th that they were trying to do something and undermine him? I'm not saying everything was perfect, but surely nothing along these lines. Did Barack Obama, in early in his administration, have any problems with Bush operatives in the state, in the the deep state department, in the intelligence community? Then why is it that that Donald Trump is? Is it because they hate him or anything else? Could it be? And, and once again, do, does all of this have to be? A, a, Look through the lens of politics. And once again, I know that leaking and information and getting this stuff out like this is illegal. I get it. I understand that. But on the other hand, what is an intelligence community supposed to do if they did catch uh, this call from, from Mike Flynn to the Russian ambassador – 
They hear the call. They listen to it because everything going to the Russians is is tapped. And Mike Flynn, as is stated in the in McCarthy article, would have known this, which makes his actions even more stupid. What would happen if they recorded that and went to the administration about it and the administration says, we don't give a dang? What happens then? What is the intelligence community supposed to do? Just sit by and let it happen. Are they just supposed to sit by and let the new director of national, whatever his his title was, national security advisor, whatever his title was, get away with lying? Is that what the intelligence community was supposed to do? Because it's obvious, and no matter what uh, Donald Trump says, I know he came out and said, it's just unfair how Mike Flynn was treated, these fake news organizations. Then why did you fire him? If it's fake news and he was treated unfairly, why did you fire him? Why did you let him resign? Hmm? The news is now out that Donald Trump withheld that information from his own vice president, Mike Pence, for like two weeks. Maybe that was the thing that concerned the intelligence community. Is it possible? Because I I have to tell you something. I wouldn't trust Donald Trump either. (laughs) You know. So... I I find myself as a conservative who is trying to view this objectively. You know, once again, there's a lot of complaints out there. Andy McCarthy has them. People at redstate.com have them. Hotair.com has them. The New Americana.com. All these sites that I go to, National Review, every, all these conservative sites, Free Beacon, they have all the concerns about this. But it comes down to what is the intelligence community supposed to do when they catch information, they give it to. The, the administration, and the administration doesn't want to do anything about it when clearly something wrong happened. And that Mike Flynn lied about it, and it doesn't seem that the administration, even when they find out about it, doesn't even care. What's the intelligence community supposed to do? Just supposed to let it go. This is the question that nobody seems to answer. There's a lot of complaints out there. A lot of complaints about how illegal it was and everything. Well, these these are issues that are bigger than just, you know, if it was some corporation. And you go to your boss about something and he just wants to block. There's no national security there. There's no uh, blackmail. There's no uh, the safety of Americans at issue or anything. It's just paperwork. But this is a much bigger deal than that. And so I'm not as inclined to attack these people uh, as as fiercely as others have, as other conservatives, other Republicans – I'm not a Republican anymore – but have and saying all this. It's clear to me – that Mike Flynn was in the wrong, whether it was a one-sentence conversation regarding the sanctions or a a 10-minute conversation regarding the sanctions. He told uh, Donald Trump, at least originally, that nothing happened. And he did it 
probably knowing that his call was taped. How stupid is he? So uh, it's just a very confusing situation. It's not, it's not one that is easily sorted out. And yes, as Andy McCarthy states in the article, that this was surely exacerbated by months and months of Donald Trump kissing Vladimir Putin's butt. Probably. Now, I want to say, I want to say for the record, I see no. I mean, this is this is how confusing this gets. For the record, I see no problem with Mike Flynn talking to the Russian ambassador about sanctions. I see no problem. It's going to come up. Donald Trump's going to be president. I see no problem with that. The problem that I have is that Mike Flynn lied to the administration. That is clear now that he did lie about his conversation. The NSA, whoever else, knew it. Knew it. And do you, and were they supposed to just let that lie stand? I've told you that we have civilian leaders in the United States, not military leaders. It is completely unethical, immoral for military people to lie to the civilian leaders, period. Because the, the civilian leaders, the president, the commander-in-chief, his people, uh, the Congress, they are the leaders in the United States. They are our representatives, but they are the people. We've elected them to make the right decisions, and I know they mess up a lot. But when it comes to people's lives and things, military people cannot get away with lies. A politician on some obscure bill can. But when it re- deals with uh, country, other countries and uh, called enemies of the United States, uh, you start doing that. We start going back to, to Vietnam and things being withheld from the American people and all of that. And it seems that even when the administration found out that Mike Flynn lied, they wanted to keep him around, which even makes it worse. <coughs> and that they kept it away from Mike Pence even makes it doubly worse. You know why the reason they didn't tell him is probably because he was, and he did, he reacted to it much more forcefully and angrily than Donald Trump did. Because Donald Trump wanted to keep the guy around. Once again, what are these people supposed to do when they have this information and they know that, that Mike Flynn told the administration, no, I didn't, at least originally, no, the sanctions never came up. If Mike Flynn had discussions about sanctions, whether it was one sentence or ten minutes, his obligation was to tell the administration that that's what the talk was. All right? That was the main mistake here, that we go into all these political stuff and Barack Obama operatives and they're looking to undermine you know who's going to under you know who undermines Donald Trump's administration the most Donald Trump does you know and that's something that uh, has been obvious to me for months and months and months even when I didn't think that he was going to get elected he is a self-destructive guy he's no different than Richard Nixon it wasn't the Democrats who brought Richard Nixon down It was Richard Nixon who brought Richard Nixon down. He did it. 
He is. Uh, he did not. He, he had these these dirty tricks department out there doing all of these things. That wasn't something created by Democrats. That's something that he did. Now he didn't know about Watergate beforehand, but when he found about it out afterwards, he felt that he needed to defend his guys against. Them. He should have fired them all on the spot and let the chips fall where they may regarding all this other stuff that happened before. He's the one that did it. So this is why it's been obvious to me that if Donald Trump's administration is going to go the way everybody wants, it's going to be because of Donald Trump. And it's going to be because of the selections that he made. Now, it seems that he has made a lot of good selections for these cabinet members. We'll see. But Mike Flynn was not a guy who people wanted in the first place. As I pointed out, he's a Democrat. He's a little bit of a kook. He's a guy who certainly liked to, who liked the camera and the attention a little too much to me. That's the way it seems to me. Just what I think I knew about him before Donald Trump got elected. And that's not the kind of person who you need in that position. You need somebody who's perfectly fine to never appear in front of camera, never to do an interview, and just do his or her job. I realize that maybe a Secretary of State uh, position, a Secretary of Defense position, uh, is going to Attorney General, are going to be positions where there's going to be an expectation of interviews. And appearing in front of the public and answering questions and everything else. Mike Flynn probably would have been better equipped in one of those positions instead of what he got. Even though I guess he wanted that position. And uh, it seems that him not being able to keep his mouth shut and him, I guess, kind of going freelance on this. And then lying about it um, did not help his cause. So I'm not going to rush to the defense of him, even though I think that him having this conversation with the Russian ambassador was completely harmless. But you can't lie. And you obviously can't lie when you know that the Russians are always being monitored by the United States intelligence. And they know what you said. So there's that. But it's a, it's a very confusing, uh, intricate story, uh, and I'm just really wondering if conservatives can look at it and keep the politics out of it and just realize something went wrong here. Mike Flynn deserved to lose his job, and the intelligence community, I think, was put in a very difficult position. And, I, you know, are they coming after the entire administration? We'll just have to see. I still think that the worst enemy of, Barack, uh, of Donald Trump is Donald Trump. Let's move on to something else. I read that Rand Paul, and this is probably going to finish out the show, but uh, this story shouldn't be any surprise. Rand Paul walked out of a meeting among uh, Republican leaders who were talking about what they're going to do about Obamacare. You know, there's a saying. 
uh, that when Rand Paul walks out, you probably know what direction the conversation is going. Is that, and I'm not the biggest Rand Paul fan. I know he can be a little kooky. I like him surely more than I liked his dad. Um, I happen to think that Rand Paul, though, when it comes to foreign policy issues and things, I think he's a little bit too much of an isolationist. But when it comes to domestic policy, I think he and I see a lot, you know, have a lot in common. And so when he's walking out of a meeting in the middle of it regarding Obamacare, you know how it's going. And as I have written here, the idea should be to repeal Obamacare in its entirety by whatever means. But as I'm reading this article, and this is from All Places, The Blaze, you know, with Glenn Beck's site, which I normally do not go to, um, this vehicle for repeal, as it is quoted in the article, said the vehicle for repeal of Obamacare adds $10 trillion to the debt. Now, how is that possible? Repeal means there's going to be nothing there when it's left, when we're done with it. But somehow that empty space, that void that's going to be created, adds $10 trillion to the debt. Now you know why the United States runs deficits and has a national debt. Because even getting rid of something, you end up running a deficit because of it. And what's really going on is they want to get rid of Obamacare for the pol- politically, but they want to keep it in some other form because they don't want to have to deal with it politically. None of them have enough guts, men and women, to just say, you know what, this is a disaster. We're going back to the way it was 10 years ago and going to start there. Going to get rid of this whole thing, and we're just going to have to rely on the medical community to figure everything out. I guess that, as I said, that's not good enough for them because they want to be heroes. And Rand Paul doesn't seem as interested in being a hero. He's probably one of the few guys in Congress in the Senate who has a medical degree. And um, and he probably understands that this is just going to be one more boondoggle. So I give him all the credit in the world for walking out. But i got to go because i got to walk out. We're into the end of the show. You can find this show Monday through Friday, 9 p.m. Eastern on the Prime Channel at redstatetalkradio.com. You can find it on Potomac and iTunes. Please subscribe. You can find my other show. I have a new episode coming out tomorrow of my Missing Persons program, Unfound, in case disappearance that happened in Ohio. And you can find that show on Podomatic and iTunes. Please subscribe, listen, share. Give the show a nice review on iTunes if you could. And I got to go. You've been listening to America's Conservative Podcast.